Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. I have a busy June and a busy beginning of July. I think this is going to be our last class for the summer and we'll resume after Labor Day. I regret to say that. I was thinking of resuming in August, but I know people come and go in August. So this will be our last class until um, after Labor Day. Uh, if anyone has nothing to do over the summer, then you can certainly catch up on the pod- Temple Beth on podcast channel. I regret that we're going to take this break right now. It's not great timing because we have been talking about uh, the different, I'm going to call it presentations or experiences of God in the Bible. And uh, what we're going to do today is not the last of that. Um, we're going to talk about God. We, last week, we talked about God in the power or dominance of nature. Today, we're going to talk about God as seen experience in the harmony of nature. And then I think there's going to be two more Bible units, God's presence in history um, and God's presence in relationship. And then we'll move on to rabbinic. Okay. I have things popping up on my screen. You'll excuse me. Okay. Um, last week when we looked at God's dominating power in nature, and I showed you some texts and I said, there's no handout. I just want to tell you, it's not true. After the fact, I actually made it into a handout. So if you want to go back and look at last week's text, it is on the podcast website attached. And this week is going to be a, um, handout also. So I will screen share and show it to you. Actually, before I do that, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to say, in our prayers, let's start with in our regular daily morning prayer. This one's a gimme. It's a lob, underhand lob. In our regular daily morning prayer, what's the prayer, the required prayer that we say every day where we talk about God's presence in, let us call it, the harmony or the wonder of nature? Where do we acknowledge God or think about God in the wonder of nature? Every morning. I'll give you a hint. When the sun rises, what prayer do we say every day about the sun rising? Oh, come on. You said it this morning. Well, by implication, when we wake up to the rooster crowing. But okay. Which happens. Okay. Rooster crowing. We're actually going to look at that line and its source in the Bible in a, in a few minutes. Yes. Good. But what's the. Uh, what's the, the main part of the service where we talk about God? You are the God of nature. And we look at the world around us when we wake up in the morning and we see your presence. And the first blessing before the Shema, Yeah. Thank you, Alan. The blessing before the Shema. You create day and night. Uh, by the way, the first blessing before the Shema, whether in the morning or in the evening, which is God's presence in the harmony of nature. I don't know if harmony is the right word, balance of nature, something like that, as evidenced by the cycle of time, which we apprehend because the sun goes up, the sun goes down. Okay. And, and that's based on passages in the Bible. We're going to look at other passages, not the ones that are the source for that. Right. So this is an obvious one, how it filters into the Sidur. Okay. Um, but, uh, what we're going to do is I would, that I would, that would be too easy. So we're going to look at some somewhat less obvious ones. Okay. 
although still familiar. Do you guys see the text? Yes. Okay, great. Okay, so God's presence and the beauty of harmony in nature. So first of all, Psalm 19. When do we recite Psalm 19? Anyone remember? Shabbat morning. Shabbat morning. Only a weekday daily minion goer. This may be less familiar to you. If you're also a Shabbat morning shul goer, and I have to say, and you arrive early enough, of course, because it's part of (laughs) Suke de Zimra, um, uh, before Baruch Hu, we add a whole series of Psalms on Shabbat morning. And here's actually kind of the leadoff one. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims God's handiwork. I love this line. Day to day makes utterance, night to night. Sorry, I have things, uh, my, my computer rebooted and I have things popping up. Day to day makes utterance, night to night speaks out. The, but yet there is no utterance, there are no words whose sound goes unheard. In other words, what this means is one day tells the next day about God's amazingness. One night tells the next night, but how do they do it? They do it silently, okay? And their voice carries throughout the earth. He placed in them a tent for the sun, like a groom coming forth from the chamber. Okay, so we have this beautiful description of God's presence, which we surmise or infer or understand from the sequence of day to day, night to night, the rising of the sun going across and the sun going across the sky. Um, Michael, eight. Yes, I I had understood this to mean that um, it's not that that we anticipate the or that the heavens are actually saying something, but that the mere existence of these things is what declares. Uh, yes, but the way the yes, but the way the psalmist is saying it is their silent existence is a declaration. Okay, good. Right? It's yeah. a declaration without words. Right? Night goes away, day comes, night comes, day comes. It is a statement without words. Bali Nishma Kolam. The sound goes unheard. Right? So it's it's very poetic, right? One day is saying to the next day, no, your turn. Okay. Um, and, and whereas we said that in the first blessing of the Shema service at night, right? God makes the night go away, makes the day go away and brings the night. Um, in that first blessing in the Shema service, we're just saying it. We're describing it. What we're describing what happens in the psalm in poetic fashion. We're actually saying, actually, the day and the night themselves declare this. They declare it silently just by their movement and existence. Fair enough, Michael? Yes. Okay. There's, but their existence is a declaration. This is the poetic thing. Okay. Psalm 104. When do we say Psalm 104? When we came up to this a few months Rosh ago, I said, nah, we don't have time to do Psalm 104. It's too long. Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh. So the Psalm that we say on Rosh Chodesh, which is this magnificent, Nature Psalm, I don't know that we're going to have a chance to read all of it because I want to get to something else today. Okay, God spreads the heavens like a tent cloth, sets his rafters of his lofts, his attic in the waters. Okay, he makes the winds his messengers, establish the earth on its foundation. By the way, we talked last week about 
God's presence and the power of nature. And we talked about this old, uh, let's call it epic myth about God subduing the waters and setting boundaries on them um, and doing so forcefully and vigorously and sometimes appearing as thunder and lightning. And we have an echo of that in the beginning of this psalm, right? God established the earth on its foundation so that it shall never totter. All right. The waters stood above the mountains, meaning the waters used to be on top of the earth. They used to cover the whole earth. Gray sheet, Genesis day one and the first part of day two. But they fled at your blast, rushed away at the sound of your thunder, mountains rising, valleys sinking to the place you established for them, meaning the place where the waters are allowed to be, not the places where they're not supposed to be. I hope you see how this is different from the description in Genesis, Brashi chapter one, right? There it just says, we talked about this last week, God does this abstractly, right? God just says, waters go over there, right? But the poetic myth that underlies that is that it was a a more violent or assertive act of power that God actually rebuked the waters. God didn't just say waters get over there. God finger wag said waters get out of there and get where you belong and I'm going to set boundaries. Okay. You make springs gush forth in torrents to make their way between the hills. So we have a transition here. We got God setting the boundaries on the waters. And then when I'm talking about waters, okay, that leads me to wells or springs, okay? And then wells or springs is a nice segue into what are the wells or springs for? Therefore, the creatures to have water to slake their thirst. So we have the, 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 the springs giving drink to all the wild beasts, the wild asses slaking their thirst. Birds of, so we're, we're thinking of the wells. What else? The springs. When you're hiking in the desert and you find the creek, what are you going to find along the creek? Southern California question. Besides, besides plants, you'll find animals. Plants. You'll find plants and you'll find animals. So we now have, you have foliage. Okay and the birds of the sky, and the foliage. So we went from, notice we went from the powerful version of God in nature that we talked about last week, setting boundaries on the waters, to now we've transitioned to a more, um, I don't know what to call it, I I just call it a harmonious view of nature, balanced view of nature, right? So we got the, the springs, which is for the animals to drink, and then there's foliage, which grows along it, and where there's foliage, there's birds, okay? And then the earth is sated from the fruit of your, fruit of your work. Now I've transitioned away from, um, you know, that part of the water to the rest of dry land. You make the grass grow for cattle and herbage, which is not a word I've ever used, herbage. I think I would have said herbage. I don't know. It's not a word I use. I would just say vegetation. The word here is chatzir, okay? I'm sorry, that's the the grasses for that. Um, Esev is the word, right, in Hebrew, which I would just say is vegetation, okay? So you make the grass uh, grow for cattle and vegetation 
for our human labor so that we can get food out of the earth, including wine, which cheers the hearts of men. Sounds very Greek, does it not? And oil causes the face to shine. Remember, olive oil was the main cleansing agent in the ancient world, as well as the food stuff. And the bread that sustains the man's life. So if you think about the prose in, let's say, Deuteronomy, Tvarim, we always have the three things that you know people are supposed to offer first fruits of, grain, wine, and oil, okay? Meaning cereal, vegetation, grapes, and olives. If we speak in Eretz Yisraeli natural terms, there were no, as you probably know, there were no Jaffa oranges back then because Jaffa oranges were imported from, I can't remember where. Anyone remember where? Morocco? I don't remember where Jaffa oranges came from. It's a whole historical story about that. So there were no Jaffa oranges, right? So we have the vegetation, wine, oil. It gives us bread to sustain life. And then we go back to the trees, are drinking, back to the birds, back to the land animals. Notice we had wild animals, then trees, sorry, land animals, then birds, then cattle, then humans, then back to anim- back to birds, okay, the birds and the stork, back to animals, wild goats, rock badgers. So we have all of this balance of, I'm going to say, um, creatures and their, uh, what we would call in modern, you know, their, their ecosystems, their, uh, their eco niche. Okay. And then while we're talking about God's manifold acts in nature, then we go to the heavenly bodies. We have the moon and the sun day and night. So the psalmist is thinking, Hey, while I'm talking about day and night, I'm also going to go back to the animals because they have a rhythm of day and night. Okay. What, so what happens at night? At night, all the beasts of the forest stir. The lions roar for prey. They seeking their food from God. So we have what we call, I think, in, you know, modern, the nocturnal animals. The sun rises. They're all gone, right? Oh, we see LA backyard. Oh, we see the possums and the raccoons at night. Never see them during the day because they go away. Sorry, I got to get rid of that. Okay. So the sun rises, those nocturnal animals go home, and we humans, right? We humans go out to our labors until the evening, right? So we have a sense here of both in space, different, you know, there are places where the birds are, there are places where the wild animals are, there are places where the humans are cultivating food and olives, olive trees. We have a sense of, so we have, ba- I'm going to call it balance, harmony. Uh, you might come up with a better word in space. And then we mention balance and harmony in time, right? There's the nighttime creatures and the daytime creatures. And the psalmist is then so moved by this description that he exclaims, Ma rabu ma'asecha aronai kulam bechokma asita malaha aritz Wow, how manifold are the things that you have made, Hashem? You made them with great wisdom, meaning you 
you ex- not you endowed them with wisdom, but you you were very wise in making them. And the earth is full of your creations, which is a line that we say in that first blessing, first paragraph before the Shema service, right? So this now gives us that that line has been taken out of context to put in the Shema. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it. I don't think taking it out of context changes the meaning of it, but it's just sort of snipped out of this psalm. Okay, so the psalmist looks at all this balance of nature in space and in time, and you know everything from the big stuff, the sun and the moon, day and night, to the little stuff. You know, where birds nest and where the wild asses forage. Um, they had wild donkeys in Eretz Israel in ancient times. I think they probably have them today also. Um, and the psalmist says, wow, wow. You just look at nature and it's totally amazing. By the way, I'm convinced, footnote, this is just me. I'm convinced that if the, if the psalmist, David Hamelech, the poets of the Psalms live today, they would be reading about science, okay? And they would be saying things like protons and electrons. Wow. Four base pairs making up the whole variety of DNA, which gives rise to everything, all creatures, just based on four base pairs and a double helix. Wow, God. You have made amazing, wondrous things, right? I'm, I'm convinced that that's what the psalmist would say today. Okay. And then for reasons not entirely clear to me, it takes a turn, you know, so like, okay, you might have, you might have ended the psalm right there, but we go because we, because we mentioned vastness, marabu, the psalm then takes a turn back into vastness. What's the vastest thing the psalmist can imagine from their experience? We would say the universe, you know, he happens to say in this psalm, the great ocean, which is the Mediterranean, which the psalmist probably, you know, had no idea that there was an end to the Mediterranean because the psalmist in Eretz Israel, King David, or whoever wrote these psalms had surely never been to the ends of the Mediterranean. So for them, it's the vast, endless ocean. So you created the giant ocean where there are all of these little, you know, who are they? Krill and shrimp and little floaty things, big creatures and small. And there we have the ships and Leviathan, mythical sea creature, which might have been based on actual sightings of whales or something like that. Okay. And... It takes it back to the eco niches of food. All of them long for the food, which comes from you. You give them their food and they gather and they're sated. But if you hide your face, which implies you're not giving them your food, then they die and they turn back to dust. So we have here actually a sense of circle, a uh, cycle, a um, material cycle of matter. Okay. There's an awareness, even though it's not Genesis chapter two, an awareness that they come from dust and they go back to dust. Okay. But when you send your ruach, they are created and you renew them. So, um, 
in Genesis chapter two, we have sort of a different order, right? Your breath, God, is the creative force, if we just think of creation of Adam. But then Adam is told in the end, he's going to die dust to dust. And here we have sort of a different version of it, right? You open your hand, they're sated. If you hide your face, meaning you don't feed them, they're going to die, okay? But when you send your ruach, your breath or spirit, then they are created and it renews the earth. So we have here a sense of, uh, I'm just going to call it the material cycle of matter. So we have cycle of time, cycle of matter, and then the psalmist has another exclamation. Yehi chavod Hashem le'olam, yismach Hashem b'ma'asav. Wow, God's glory is really eternal. God, let God rejoice in these amazing creatures, which of course is also snipped out of this psalm and comes into our service, right? The prayer uh, after Psalm 100 and before Ashrei. I think I have that order right, okay? Which is the so- the prayer, which is composed of different lines from different psalms, right? So that line, is not, which which if when you cut, take it out of context, it could just be God's creatures, whatever, what does it really mean? So it's really from this psalm, it's about the manifold acts of God in nature, all the creatures. Translates here as works, okay? And that's an okay word for ma'asav, but I think it might also mean creatures. And then um, the psalmist gives us a line to take us back to the beginning of the concept of God as powerful in as powerful in nature, not the harmoniousness of nature shows us God's presence, but the power of nature shows us God's presence. Back to that idea that we had at beginning, God who looks at the earth and it trembles, he touches the mountains and they smoke. Okay, so this is back to God as present in power. Again, whether this is earthquake or volcano or storm or whatever. And then the psalmist twice, I want to scroll back, twice the psalmist has said, wow. Okay, the first time was, the first time was, Ma rabu ma'asecha Adonai kulam bechokma asita malaha aritzkinanecha. How manifold are the things you've made, O Hashem? You made them, you you created them wisely, and the earth is full of your creations. So that was the first wow in this psalm. Second wow is yichavod Adonai leolam ismach Adonai b'masav. Right, God's glory is forever. Let God rejoice in God's creations. God, I hope you enjoy all the stuff that you made. It's amazing. So the rest of the psalm is a description of the things, but it's interspersed with these um, exclamations of "Wow, it's amazing!" And then we have the third exclamation: "Ashira laronai bechayai azamra lelohai beodi." This is a more personal excla- exclamation. The other ones were just "Wow." First one was, wow, it's amazing what you did. The second one was, wow, you should really be proud of yourself there, God. It's pretty amazing. Third one is, I praise you as long as I live. Okay? The implication of this line, uh, like, why am I praising God? It doesn't say it explicitly. Okay? But the implication of that is, because I, the psalmist or the reader, contemplated all of these amazing things in nature, and I said, wow. I really got to praise you like every day for the rest of my life here. Okay. 
and may God, my words, may they be pleasing to God. So we had before, as this ties it together, I just want to come back. May God rejoice because of God's creation. And here it's may my words, praising God, singing of God, be pleasing to God. Anochi esmach b'Hashem. I will rejoice in God. Okay. Again, which by implication seems to be, I rejoice by looking at all of this stuff, contemplating how amazing it is. And this fills me with praise. And then the interesting line, which we're not going to talk about it too long. Why is it tacked on here? The short answer is because the psalmist always tacks it on, um, is may God get rid of the bad people, the sinners or the sin. You might say, oh, that is an abrupt shift and spoiled the whole nature thing, right? But, you know, the Psalms just about always throw in, you know, something about God is right. You know, they connect God of nature to the God of righteousness and the God of righteousness cannot abide unrighteousness. And then we have kind of the uh, fourth, uh, what's the word? I want to say expostulation is a fancy word, but that's not what I mean. What's a simpler word? Exclamation. The fourth exclamation. May may myself praise God. Hallelujah. So we have really four. We have description of nature, and then we have four um, exclamations in here on the part of the psalmist. Okay, I'm going to pause for discussion. What we're not going to get to today, but feel free to look at it at home, is Job chapter 38 and 39. It'll be in the handout, or you can look at your home Bible. So what you can look at, and you can go on to chapter 40 and 41 also, is basically Job, you know, the most righteous man, and God did terrible things to afflict him. And Job argues with God and says, I want a hearing, I want a hearing. And then finally in Job 38, God appears to Job from the whirlwind, and says, you puny mortal, you think you want to understand how I operate in the world? And then God has a long rhetorical, you might call us, you might call it a beauteous poem about the wonders of nature. You might call it a bludgeoning harangue against Job. Both would be, <laughs> right? He says, oh, you think you know so much? Where were you when I laid the foundations? Okay. And again, I want to point out, that the poem begins, if you look at it later at home, with the God of power, the sea, right? God closed the sea behind doors when it gushed forth out of the womb of the earth, right? God limited the sea, and then we get to the dawn, and we get to the light, and then we get to the ice and the snow, and then we get to the rain, and we get to the constellations, um, and then we get to the creatures, and it's all rhetorical. Oh, Job, you think you know so much? Do you understand about, you know, animal pregnancy and when the animals are going to give birth? Uh, do you understand? Uh, can you get the wild ox to do your service and plow for you? It's this long series of rhetorical questions to which the obvious answer is, no, you know nothing of this, Okay. You, Job, who says you want to under you want to understand about nature. So feel free to, you know, get your, uh, either look at the handout later when it's posted online, hopefully later today, or just go get your Bible out at home and look at Job 38, 39, 40, 41. Right. We have two poems of God appearing to Job 
from the whirlwind saying, oh, you think you know so much? Well, let me tick off all these things in nature and you tell me if you understand them. Rhetorically, of course not. Okay, but again, we have beautiful nature poetry. Now, I selected some Psalms. We could have selected a few others. I selected Psalm 19 and Psalm 104 because they're familiar to you from the liturgy Shabbat morning and every morning. Um, But I could have also selected some other Psalms that would be less familiar to you. Again, the gimme is this all filters down in our daily davening to the first blessing of the Shema service after Baruchu. Yotzer or Uvo Rechoshech, right? God, you might, you might day and night and we contemplate the heavenly beings. Okay. And we actually have a couple of lines pulled out of there. We have Yihichavot Hashem Le'olam earlier in our hymns of praise. We have Marabu Masecha Hashem, Kulam Bechokmatsi. How manifold are your works, O God? You did them. You created them amazingly. So we have a couple of lines pulled out here. Um, I'm going to pause and let's take a couple of minutes just to ask, how do these things resonate with you and how do you, how do you link them, contrast them, make sense of them, whatever, um, um, in light of also some of the stuff we read last week, uh, which we have a little bit of in the Psalms we looked at today of the God of the power of nature, right? God in the storm, in the cloud, who subdues the violent waters. So we had, last week we looked in particular at God is present in power in nature, and this week we looked at God is present in what I what I refer to as the harmony of nature. You may have a different word. Michael, oh. I I, I, I see the difference. Uh, I also think that uh, it, it resonates because... Uh, it, it sort of calmly, uh, it sort of makes one think of uh, of really the grandeur that that of something real. Of course, the power uh, does in some ways the same thing, but this is a more intimate thing that when you think of uh, of uh, just the nature around you, you think of the world as a as a bigger place and. Uh, and and of God's role in it, I think. Uh, also, uh, one psalm we say every day, one forty eight uh, in Pesuke, yeah, uh, right, alludes, alludes to that fact because it talks about. Um, and, and I've been, uh, you know, uh, nature. And when I re- when I say that uh, when I'm davening, I'm I'm thinking of uh, a, a more grandeur and. And in the art scroll, in 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 the transliterated version, says, "I sing in anticipation and an excitement of the time when all the world will be imbued with the knowledge of Hashem." So, in a way, it's sort of not—it's not so much violent or the shaking or the trembling or the, uh, uh, you know, some of the illusions you referred to last week about the cedars and the mountains. Swain and really weren't Swain. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's power, but this is more of a thing. Like, think of God, and may, may we reach the time uh, when when all people. Mm-hmm. Good. So I looked at some. So last night about. when I was making my thank you, Mike, when I was making my sheet, I said like, oh, Psalm one forty eight. Should I include that? And I said no, because we say that every day. Everyone knows it. But here, it's the psalmist is looking at each thing. 
right? So I just want to highlight this is a slightly different um, nuance. The psalmist is looking at each thing in nature and he says, hey, each thing, praise God, okay? The hosts of heaven, sun and moon, right? By the way, um, uh, establish an order that will never change. Chok Natan Viloya Avor is a little hint back to the more assertive um, mode of creation, meaning God put things here and said, don't move, you stay there, okay? So all the things are going to praise God, right? We have Tanin instead of Leviathan. We have a different word, right? Sea monsters, right? The depths of the ocean. And we have all these things which are, which are mentioned in Job, by the way, the hail and the rain. Okay. So here, the, yes, Michael is another, but, and then we get up to humans. Let them all praise God. Um, so this is in Psalm 148. We have a kind of a slightly different view. It's, Rather than, wow, I'm looking at it all, and this is evidence to me of your greatness, I'm looking at it all and I'm saying, hey, every instrument in the orchestra, you should be praising God. But yes, it's sort of born from that looking at the natural world. Thanks. Good. Other thoughts? And by the way, we have snippets of it in Psalm 147. Also, you know, it's again, it's here and there. I I brought sort of 104 because I really wanted to look at like a long sustained piece of that. Other thoughts, Larry. I don't get the sense, except in Borchinavshi, perhaps, that there's this overwhelming awe at the beauty of nature. More the, what you've presented, especially especially in, in Psalm 40, 148, it's the awe at God's ability to create all of these things. Do you understand the, the distinction? Could you say it again? In other words, you can walk up. So you can walk out in nature and you can be inspired and you can have a godly moment at being inspired by the beauty of nature without conce- conceiving of a, an all-powerful God that created the nature. Okay. So this is a class. Thank you, Larry. This is a class in Jewish theology. So I will make the statement that the these authors they went on a hike or went on a boat trip or climbed a mountain or in modern times would look at electron a look under a scanning electron microscope and to them the wow was evidence of the force behind it the i'm going to call it uh i'll call it force I think I was going to say entity. For them, it was clearly an entity, okay? But I'm going to take a step back and be more abstract. It was all a signpost to, wow, how did it get to be here? Yes, they are making a theological statement. I see all this amazing, right? It's like, by the way, the theological statement is said, I think, very explicitly in one day proclaims it to another silently. The uh, whirling electrons are silently in their orbit, are silently saying, what an amazing world that God created, God created us. Yes, it is a theological uh, assertion. Well, I, I I didn't mean to diminish the theological aspect yep. of it. Yeah. Just 
real quickly two two alternative perspectives that are not in here. One is you look at a at a painting, a Rembrandt or Picasso or whatever, and you say, "Wow, that's fantastic." I'm I'm amazed at the capability of these people to be able to do that. And that's different than simply looking at it and saying, wow, look at the power of these artists to be able to, to, be able to do that. But the second thing is... Wait, I, I got to stop you before the second thing, okay? Because the psalmist would say, the psalmist would say that reaction is limited, okay? Because you have to say, and where did the human creativity come from and how did their brain get created by the way rav cook uh, rav cook has things that were uh first uh chief Ra- ashkenazic chief rabbi in the land of israel before the founding of the state he died in the 30s um has a passage which was kind of censored out of the official version of his diaries where he says i went to the museum and i saw i think he saw rembrandt Okay, I saw Rembrandt and I saw the way the artist did the light on the face in the painting. And it struck me that this light was a piece of the light that God created in the first seven days of creation on day one that was hidden away for the righteous for the world to come. So I just want to say the I will use the term religious person we can debate a lot what that means where the religious person looks at that painting and doesn't say how amazing is that artist the religious person looks at that painting says how amazing is that artist and where did that inspiration come from Uh, uh, now it's an argument that you might disagree with or or a statement you might disagree with but i just want to point out that is how that is what the psalmist says the last thing i want to say is in nature you have a lot of destructive force. Yeah. And some of them alluded to in some of the examples that you gave. Yeah. <clears throat> but you could also, one could also say that the destructive force of the earthquake that destroys is also a manifestation of God's power. Yes. In nature. And they did say that, right? The storm, uh, there, there, there are passages about the storm, the, earth, the earthquake, the volcano. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. Their observation was their observation was that always after that there is calm. Right? There's not volcano that erupts forever endlessly, or earthquake that goes on forever, or storm that goes on forever, or water surging forever. There are, let's just call it uh well, I was gonna say eruptions, and I don't necessarily mean volcanic, but 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 violent drama which then afterwards becomes calm. And they explained it differently. Sometimes they said, oh, they're rebellious forces and God subdues them. Sometimes they said God is angry and then calms down. So they sort of try to infer how the divine is working behind that, because, of course, they knew that it was, you know, from the human standpoint, a bad thing if there's an earthquake and human beings died, right? They didn't say it's the circle of life, okay? But notice there are some things that are the circle of life that, you know, creatures go back to the dust is not evil. It's part of the circle of life that the lion eats his pre- eats its prey is not evil. It's part of the circle of life that God created. Um, 
So I didn't mean to, by the way, if you look at that Psalm 104, the Rosh Kodesh Psalm that we looked at it, like uh, you might argue that I, Avi, artificially bifurcated these two aspects of God in nature, right? Assertive, violent, powerful, and um, harmonious and balanced. And I'll, I'll cap, I'll cop to that. I'll say maybe I artificially divided them, but I do think we do have two tones or moods when these poets are talking about nature. One tone or mood is like, wow, there's so much destructive force and God subdues it. That's one tone or mood. And there is another tone of mood, which is, wow, I look at how every creature has the place where it lives and they each have its own food and it's all in balance. And I say, ma rabu ma Hashem, how manifold are your works, O God? You, you created this with incredible wisdom. I'm going to leave off on that line. And, <laughs> um, and um, next, but by the way, the two things we're going to look at in the fall after Labor Day which I wish I would have finished before so we could finish with God in the Bible, um, is uh, God as actor in history and God as presence, the God of relationship. Um, okay, so we looked at, just going to review, God who can appear physically as a malach, an emissary, God whose kavod, some sort of self, is present in the temple, God who's not present in the temple, who lives in the heavens and gives us a residue of godliness, which is God's shame or word, divarim, God's name and God's words. Okay. Then we looked as God as present in nature, two aspects, the, the powerful and the harmonious. And then we're going to look after the summer mm-hmm. at two more, um, bases sort of of God that are present in the Bible, the face of God uh, that we experience in relationship and the face of God that we experience in history. And then after that, God willing, we'll move on to rabbinic and medieval and such like. Okay. Terry has a hand. Would you just repeat our, um, the, your break cycle, please? Oh, thank you. I think we're taking a break until after Labor Day, September. We're off for the, it's like, Public school ends this week. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're off and public school resumes in August nowadays, but we're not. We will resume after Labor Day. I'm, I'm busy for the next month or so. And then I know there are a lot of comings and goings over the summer. We could do it because it's on podcasts and people can catch up. But I think we're going to, I think I need a break and we're going to take a break till after Labor Day until September. Long break. Have a good break. Thank and- you. Okay. Everyone be Torah, stay healthy. And God willing, we shall resume in on Tuesday, the day after Labor Day. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.